Welcome. You're listening to a Mr. Thrive Media Production. Have you ever spoken to a clinical musician? Neither have I until this interview in which I got to speak with Amy Cammy. And honestly, I had a fantastic time learning about how the harp truly has a deep physiological impact on the human body both in a mental and a physical capacity. During the interview, Amy and I discuss her journey in health and how her music has impacted her life and her well-being. Also, outside of just her information in the show notes of this episode, you also should go and check out our Therapeutic Throwback Tuesday coming up on November 30th at 6 p.m. Pacific Daytime. In this intimate setting, we're all going to be coming together to share our experiences as artists discuss gratitude, and have a really nice bonding experience. I really hope to see you there as I know it'll be a good, impactful evening. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. You have stumbled upon the Mr. Thrive Podcast, where together we discover emerging artist, certified clinical musician, Amy Cammy. Amy, welcome to the podcast. It is a blessing to have you here today. Nice to be here. Well, thank you again for you know taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm so curious as to what it means to be a certified clinical musician. We've definitely spoken a little bit about it before, but today we're going to get really into the nitty gritty of it and also learn about you know how that really relates to your story and the kind of healing that you bring to the world. But before we do that, as everyone who is a listener on this podcast knows, we always have our warm-up trivia for this season, and I am so pumped to share with you some of the questions that I found. Uh, can you guess what the trivia might be on, by the way? Um, I'm a little nervous, so I don't, I mean, if it's about music history or any of that, you know, I'm just going to put it up front. No, 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 don't be nervous, don't be nervous. First of all, <laughs> we're all here to have fun, and second of all, I, I think, you know what, I've, I've, I've been like pleasantly surprised that, you know, people, I will quiz them on something that they know best. You know the harp pretty darn well, if I do say so myself. So I found three very interesting topics in the realm of the harp. Are you ready? All right, let's go for it. <laughs> okay, amazing. All right. So question one, which ancient culture was the first to show illustrations of the harp? Was it A, the Egyptians, B, the Romans, C, the Greeks, or D, the Hebrews? My initial pop-in-my-head answer was the Greeks. However, it probably predates all of that. It could be ancient, ancient ancestors that literally tied a string to sticks to create the bow. So that the bow, like the bow and arrow, could literally be considered the first harp. It definitely does make a sound uh, when you do pull back a bow and fire. It has that very pleasant boing, you know, sound to it. Mm-hmm. The, pretty much the precursor to the harp. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I never really thought about that too much. But of those, is your is your final answer the Greeks? Um. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Actually, the answer was the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, uh, 3,000 years ago, had uh, the harp in their uh, in their illustrations. In their it's probably it's probably back even farther than that to Sumerian. You're probably right, world, though. Yeah. You're you're you're, yeah. you're probably right. It, I think like mm-hmm. in terms of it being illustrated and depicted, the the, the clear illustration was was shown in the Greeks, and that's what the article had said that I had read. 
So, okay. but let's also go with like they're still discovering stuff. Yes, let's that go, is true. Let's that is because there's probably even more ancient civilizations that they're going to find under the Antarctica. You know, we don't know what we don't know right now. So, we do not know. That is true. That is yeah. true. Question two. I'm just trying to cover up my wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Like even even if you know, I don't think this is gonna happen. But like, let's say you got every single question wrong. Okay, we're just here to have a good time. We're just here to have fun. I don't even know Absolutely. if I'd be able to answer these questions correctly. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's go. Question two: Which right. beer is known for having the harp in its logo? Is it A. <sighs> Corona, B. Guinness, C. Deschutes, or D. Red Stripe? It's Guinness. Correct. Bingo. See, yes. look at that. You got one correct. <laughs> All righty. Uh, and Guinness, by the way, was the first drink that I ever had when I became a 21-year-old. So that that's a special drink in my heart for sure, by the way. So just had to share that. Question three. What is the prime difference between the normal harpist and an Irish harpist? Is it A... Irish style includes plucking with bare feet as well. B, Irish style is slower paced. C, Irish style has lower notes. Or D, Irish style plucks with fingernails. The last one. Correct. Yeah, yes. good job. I, I was thinking though, like what if, what if, could you play it with the foot? I made up that, I made up that, that, that guess, so. <laughs> I, I had an image in my mind. All of us, all of a sudden, this picture <laughs> popped into my mind. <laughs> trying right. to pluck with my feet. Sure. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried that when you were learning in that in that time? No. Well, a harpist use their feet if they're playing a pedal harp. So we we absolutely do use our feet to adjust the pedals on the larger instruments, but we don't necessarily use our feet to pluck the strings. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, you know what? I'm realizing as you're speaking, I, I don't even know the different varieties in harp. So you said there's a pedal harp. Is the, is, do you mm -hmm. just call the other harp an, a normal harp? What, what, what is that? So harps come in different styles and models just like cars. Okay. So basically the difference between a pedal harp and a lever harp, a lever harp, um, you, you could use it, the term Irish, um, therapy harps, lever harps, it's all using the same mechanism where there is a little lever beside each string. And when you lift that lever up, it tightens the string to increase its pitch by half a step. Okay. And then on a pedal harp, there's um, seven pedals at the base. Each pedal is connected to a rod that goes up the column and down and works a mechanism underneath the neck. There's literally 2000 moving parts on a pedal harp and the pedals have three different slots in them, which indicate um, no tension on the string. You move the pedal down a little bit and it there's discs beside each string. One disc will tighten it a half a pitch, put the pedal down into the lower slot. The second disc tightens it another half steps. So with a pedal, you can create a natural, a flat, natural, or sharp for each string. 
So like one pedal works every octave. There's a C pedal that works all the C strings. There's a D pedal that works all the D strings. So it's a different mechanism. Um, yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a uh, stick shift versus automatic in a car. Yeah. Sort of. yeah right, yeah, right, right. Sure. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of different, yeah, it can get kind of complicated, but honestly, sometimes it's easier to play a pedal heart because you set the pedals for your key signature and then you're done. And then every accidental within a piece, you just move a pedal. Whereas if you're playing a lover harp, if you have an accidental that shows up in the piece, you have to literally move that lever. So sometimes it's actually more difficult to play a lover harp. Interesting. I, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, I'm such an amateur uh, listener from this perspective. I just wouldn't know what would be more difficult. The harp seems like an instrument that is probably quite intimidating to approach from a newcomer's perspective. Is that, is that, an, is that an accurate statement? Well, when you understand that it's a lot like a piano and it's color coded, so the strings um, reflect like a C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, with the red strings being C's and the black strings being F. And then you can see it in relationship to a piano. You just don't see the black strings, the I mean, the black notes on a piano. You would just see the white notes on the, the C, D, E, F, G, A, B. And then you would make the sharps and flats using either a pedal or a lever. But the music is the same. So if you play piano, you could play the harp. Got it. Was there ever a time where the harp wasn't color coded? Well, I would imagine back in the ancient times, they were not color coded. <laughs> right. Um, but I actually remember going to visit an older woman who was the harpist in our community when I was first starting um, years ago, like I was 10. So um, 40 years ago. And her harp was strung with different colored strings. I remember seeing green strings and black strings or blue strings instead of, you know, white. It was, it was weird to look at a harp with like green strings. So I guess the answer would be yes. Huh. Got it. Hey folks, we're going to take a quick break. And before we do that, I want to emphasize the fact that because of this pandemic, Mr. Thrive Media realized that we need to do a better job at supporting small business wherever we can. So enjoy. Hey Thrivers, do you hear a certain difference in quality? That's because this podcast quality is made possible by Squadcast. Virtual recordings have become easier than ever with Squadcast studio quality SaaS remote recording platform. This cloud-based technology secures your files and minimizes post-production for all podcast producers. And I should know because I am one. Heighten the experience of your podcast by clicking the link in the show notes below. This podcast is a Mr. Thrive Media production. Mr. Thrive Media builds communities through its content marketing and networking events. During this pandemic, our dedicated team commits to the value of connection by producing podcast content while extending a helping hand towards artists and entertainment professionals. Mr. Thrive Media puts its values first by supporting small businesses and empowering emerging artists. For more information, visit www.mrthrive.com. That's mrthrive.com. It's really interesting. Now, I'd like, to, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about the work you're doing. We didn't introduce you as a harpist. We didn't introduce you just as a strict musician. We introduced you as a certified clinical musician. What does that mean? Okay, A, a certified clinical musician is a certification for a therapeutic musician. 
Um, there is a Nationals Board of Standards, and there's four different programs that certify musicians. It just doesn't have to be a harpist. It could be a vocalist or a pianist or guitarist. Um, and we are trained to share music in a therapeutic way, which is different than music therapy. So we go into a patient's space and we provide music to support the healing process. We are not attached to a specific outcome, whereas a music therapist uses music in specific ways to elicit specific outcomes. So patients benefit from both therapeutic musicians and music therapists, but it's pretty much a new, it's a very, very ancient field, but it's a newly um, accredited field of musicians. Um, so that's, that's my certification. That's my training. And ironically, you know, I was doing this type of playing for 20 years before I even went through the certification process. It's just how I naturally play. So it was nice to find the community um, and, and feel like I belong <laughs> with other musicians who really have this connection with music. Absolutely. Now you said something really interesting there. You said that it's it's kind of it's it's ancient, like you said. It's it's been something that's been in the field for some time. Is that what you said? But it's only recently really been recognized for its value. Is that is that what you said? So the harp as an instrument for healing has been used for eons, um, specifically, I believe, because of its ability to resonate and affect the full range of frequencies within the human body. And because we're made up of so much water, the sound vibrations really get in and they resonate with you know, our muscles and our cells and the fluid and the um, harmonics of the harp and the frequency range of the harp. Um, it's really unique as, as an instrument for healing. And about 20 years ago, as this field of harp therapy started to emerge, it was really a natural evolution as harpists were using their music to support family members, you know, going through hospice or going through cancer or being in nursing homes. You know, they were intuitively using their instrument in this therapeutic way. And at one point, they all decided to come together and say, let's create a national board of standards, just like music therapists have, where we're, we're, we are teaching similar concepts or this, you know, so that everybody who goes through whatever program they decide to go through, they will all receive similar training. So it's standardized. Um, and yet each program has its own unique focus. And so a lot of care and energy and, effort went into creating this um, National Standards Board. And now we are really growing the awareness of therapeutic music, especially in the medical settings. Now, what is the difference between uh, what you do and traditional music therapy? Well, like I said before, a music therapist, their training is different. I'm sure we overlap with some content, um, but with music therapy, they they go through hours and hours and hours of a lot of different types of training what, um, that therapeutic musicians do not because we don't need to. Music therapists 
you know, they use music to support neurological functioning, for physical functioning, um, to elicit very specific outcomes. So they have a more clinical use of music. Um, for example, after a stroke or um, with Alzheimer's or, um, you know, it's rehabilitation and socialization. I mean, there are very specific reasons and methods and ways to use music either listening or actively producing it, playing it, using the actual um, different instruments to help support coordination or neurological functioning. Um, so their, their training is more focused on eliciting clinical outcomes. Whereas a therapeutic musician, we are going in to support the overall sense of well-being and the healing process um, to help them relax, to help them um, reduce their stress to help them reduce their pain. And so it's using music, but using it in a different way. Understood. So can you do me a favor then uh, do us a favor and, and tell us a story about, about your work and in, in it in action. So I used to take my baby harp. I call it my baby harp. And she's a therapy harp. She sits on my lap. She's easy to carry. And I would play on a, um, a cancer floor, you know, a floor with, with cancer patients. And we were doing just pain distress assessments as they went in. And then I would play and literally I would just play for nine minutes and like 90% of the patients, they would be asleep when I was finished because it just created such a sense of, relaxation. It helped decrease pain. It helped decrease anxiety. And they would just be asleep, you know, and that's just, that's like my ultimate applause is when people fall asleep when they listen to me. Because <laughs> it's so peaceful. And it's it, it, like, I think one thing that you said earlier that I actually didn't even think about is the, the water in our bodies, the physical water in our bodies. And how the sound waves can actually uh, have an impact on, you know, like this, the same way that sound waves would have an impact on ocean water, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking of, uh, you know, any kind of body of water for that matter. And, and, and that very uh, experience of water happening internally within us and how that has a, a deep physiological impact on us. Uh, so it's calming. It's therapeutic, obviously, but it's also, it, it brings a certain, would you say... From your experience, do you also receive, from the from the musician's perspective, do you also receive a, a certain physiological impact from it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, years ago, um, there was a group called Harps for Healing created in Chicago um, by a gentleman by the name of Ron Price. And it was literally teaching people how to play the harp who were going through physical illness because the harp sits on that thymus gland, it sits on our, the chest when we pull the heart back. So when we're playing, all of those vibrations are literally going into our bodies as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's healing for both the musician and the listener. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What about the research that has gone into it? Because as of late, one of the conversations we had prior to this interview was about your contributions 
uh, to the studies in this, and I'd love to explore that. Where does that research stem from? You know, I'm one of those people who an idea will just pop into my head, and then sometimes it's a little ahead of its time. <laughs> so my interest in music and healing, really, it started like in 1987 when a family friend was going through a hospice, and I was just inspired to record a cassette tape for her. She listened to it during her meditations and another friend observed how her body relaxed. Like you could see it. She shared that with me and something lit up inside of me and it's like, oh wow, did the music help do that? And if so, how and why? That was really my first introduction to music and healing because I'm a classically trained harpist. You know, I started classical training when I was 10 years old and studied all the way through college. So the idea of music and healing never entered my space. So I developed a questionnaire with a music therapist and it indicated that, you know, people perceived they were more relaxed after they listened to this cassette tape, uh, even if they didn't like harp music. Even back then we were addressing, do you have to like the music in order for it to be effective? We were showing that you don't, you know, it was happening regardless of personal preference. Fast forward a couple, uh, a few more years and my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I wanted to record something to help him relax and heal after surgery. And this was at 92-ish. And he's a musician. And so I knew that musicians listen to music differently than non-musicians. They tend to analyze it. They tend to, you know, they have memories. They have associations with music in a different way than a non-musician does. And so because of that, their beta waves are really engaged. And the beta waves are that frequency that is active when we are awake, when we're conscious, when we're thinking. You know, if you're thinking too much, how relaxed can you get, <laughs> right? So I wanted to record music that he didn't know. And so new age piano solos, I knew he had no association with. And I also played piano. So it was easy to transfer that music to harp. So I did a recording um, for him and it helped him relax and heal. So my intention when I recorded that was to obviously help my father relax after surgery. So fast forward a couple more years and we meet a neurotherapist who was intrigued with some of the testimonials that we were receiving from people who listened to that CD. And so he offered to do quantitative EEG, measuring people's brainwave frequencies as they listened to this music. And he showed that it relaxed and calmed the brain in four minutes and everybody he tested, meaning the beta waves lowered and the alpha waves increase. The alpha waves increase when you kind of feel that daydream, you're kind of zone out, you're, you're, so you're relaxing and calming your brain. And so we thought, all right, could we impact the immune system if this is happening? And these are questions that we were asking back 20 years ago. And literally that is the field of psychoneuroimmunology. And so we designed a clinical trial I mean, we went through the process of starting a, found, a nonprofit foundation, um, designing a clinical trial with neurological, biological, standardized psychological quality of life and epigenetic uh, measurements. I mean, it was a holistic clinical trial way ahead of its time. <laughs> um, and because we were, we were curious, you know, what what is the impact? How can this music reduce stress specifically in cancer patients going through chemotherapy? And the other piece of this paralleled my personal journey inside 
getting through my fears of being a classically trained musician and allowing original music to move through me. So during this time, the clinical trial was getting designed, I was expressing original music. So now we're getting back to this conversation of intention, which is a big conversation happening in the world of sound healing. You know, there's a, there's a common formula um, being shared that, you know, intention, what is it? Um, it has to do with the intention equals the, the healing. Like if you intend something to heal, then that's what's moving through the music, okay? And that's what we showed with the first CD. My intention moving through was being transferred to the listener. You know, my intention to help my dad relax and heal was being measured through the quantitative EEG of the listeners in that initial pilot study. But what was fascinating is the music we ended up using for the clinical trial that was being designed was my original music. Hmm. And why, that, why is that? That music, I did not write. I did not have any intention other than getting the music out of me because it was inspired by ancient healing chants. My husband showed me these ancient chants. I heard the music. It's like the music woke up inside of me. It was like on some level I was remembering it. So I was listening. I wasn't creating it. I wasn't writing it. I wasn't composing it. I was listening to it as it was waking up inside of me. And that's the music that came out in the recording session. And that CD is called The Magic Mirror, Inspired Reflections. And in order to include that in our clinical trial, we needed to prove that it was worthy of being included in our clinical trial. So we did another pilot study with that, with five women going through chemotherapy. Um, Dr. Collins is the neurotherapist here in St. Louis who, who conducted these pilot studies. He's amazing. I'm so grateful to him. Um, so he did quantitative EEG on five women going through chemotherapy, got a baseline. Everyone was a little different. Everybody's brainwave frequencies were different. Some had lo like high beta, some had low beta, some had a high alpha, some had low. It was, they were all individual. Listened to the CD once a day for 10 days, came back and got measured did a quantitative EG again. And it showed that every imbalance tended to normalize. It's like everybody got exactly what they needed. So how is that possible? And why is that possible? And that started me on this journey of language, putting a language to what I believe and feel is happening. And, and I feel like the difference between those two recordings, the one I recorded for my dad and the one I recorded recorded um, the, the magic mirror one is, is the inspiration. What inspired that expression? The first was inspired my, by my love for my father. The second was inspired by this spiritual um, connection that just wanted to get out the music. Just, I, I had no attachment to the outcome. And that's why people could, receive it without any of my personal intention. Um, so those are the conversations I love to continue. Um, we never were able to implement that clinical trial. It's sitting in my drawer because I was diagnosed with breast cancer shortly after that. So the irony is that the study was designed for cancer patients going through chemotherapy. And now I had the opportunity 
to receive that music for myself. And I listen to it twice a day during my chemotherapy treatments. And I did not experience chemo brain. I mean, I remain clear. I know that music supported me on so many levels. Um, so fast forward now, we actually have, we designed another clinical trial with a local um, institution. It may or may not get funded uh, regardless of whether it does or not. I have visions of future research designs that I am moving forward with and in conversations with other um, uh, researchers who, who can see this broader perspective because it's not just about music. Um, it, there's, a very, there's a much deeper conversation um, happening as far as, you know, what is the mechanism? What is the, the highway of connection? What moves through the sound to elicit these responses? That's absolutely incredible. And I really want to say thank you for sharing all that. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, but also, I'm so thankful that you're here to tell the story um, just because of the fact that not not just because of the fact that, but, you know, you're a cancer survivor. And I'm a thriver. You're a thriver. I love it. And <laughs> two times over. <laughs> two times over. Yeah. And it's 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 inspiring. It really is. So, I mean, the the, the first thing I want to ask you is like, where where can people listen to the music when, when if, if they want to listen to you? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, all the music is available online. Anywhere okay. you enjoy music, just search my name. It's A M Y C A M I E, and you'll find it. And the specific CD that I was talking about is called The Magic Mirror. It's only 23 minutes. It has helped thousands of people around the world. Even stress combat control specialists in Iraq requested it for the soldiers. Um, I have so many testimonials. It's overwhelming. The amount of um, love that people share with me as to how the music has impacted their lives. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful. So Amy, that that's terrific. I am so excited for the listeners to hear more of your music. They can catch it on Spotify and Apple Music. If you go and type in Amy Cami on any of those platforms, you can listen to The Magic Mirror. As a matter of fact, uh, we are going to play the first four minutes of The Magic Mirror here on this podcast. We're so excited for you guys to experience it. So without further ado, enjoy. Thank you. 
And we're back. I want to say that was just, it's beautiful. It's calming. And also, you know, last night, you know, right now it's September 29th, 2021. Last night, September 28th, 2021, we had our uh, networking event that you can always register for uh, in the show notes of the episodes that we have. I was so moved by how just peaceful it was to the point where I couldn't even speak. If you remember, if you remember last night, I, I was like, like, I just like, I like, it was so mentally calmed that all the precision and intention behind my words just kind of melted away. It really, it does have a deep psychological impact on people. And it's, you know, it's important work that you're doing. So I just want to say thank you for sharing that with everyone you do. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, it's not about the notes. It's what's writing through the notes. Um, and that is a shift in perspective for me as a classically trained musician. You know, my background is to perform for others, perform for the outside, you know, um, and then to shift that, to turn the mirror into now sharing from the inside without an attachment to the outcome, it's a totally different experience for me as a musician to just be able to share, you know, what's, what's inside versus perform. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and it's a different feeling. It's a different response to the listener. You, you felt it. Well, Although I didn't, I didn't sit down behind the harp to intentionally elicit that response in you. I sat down at the harp and connected to how I was feeling. And I allowed whatever wanted to move through me to do so. Beautifully said. Amy, that's really just phenomenal. And again, thank you for sharing that with, with all of us. My question is, how, how did you get started in the, in the journey with not just the heart, but in, in learning how to really go about healing people? Well, it's a step-by-step journey that started actually, I mean, in childhood, I loved sharing that I'm adopted and I was adopted when I was one month old and both of my parents were music teachers. (laughs) So I was adopted into a family who could nurture my gift immediately. And so I started piano lessons when I was five years old and I started harp lessons when I was 10. And, you know, music was just always a part of my life. And again, I mentioned, you know, I'm classically trained because that was, the training that my parents had. So I had this really strong foundation and I had amazing teachers and my technique, you know, luckily I was, I have a really strong technique, which I feel helps at this point. um, It gives me the capacity to play whatever wants to move through me. Um, But it was a journey of traveling from my head to my heart you know, as a classically trained musician, you know, don't take my paper away from me. I mean, I will memorize pieces for competitions, for juries, for, you know, what I have to memorize, I, I will and I can. Um, but otherwise, just don't take my paper away because I don't trust myself to play music without paper. And I remember, oh, 20, 25 years ago, when I was playing with a quartet, it was harp, flute, violin, and cello. And our violinist 
was amazing. Her name was Michelle DeFabio, and she could go off on any kind of melody. We called her a Jewish gypsy. I mean, she had she was a jazz, Jewish, gypsy, fun. I mean, she could make anything, she bring anything to life. And she's classically trained. So she had the technique to do it. So we would be playing in this ensemble, and here's Michelle just improvising on everything. And the three of us were like, oh, we want to do that. <laughs> you know, there was something calling to us to be able to have that freedom. And so one day we literally had a rehearsal and we said, we're going to use our instruments like there are voices at a dinner party and we're going to have a conversation and we're just going to talk to each other. So Michelle starts off and she plays and then the cello starts and the flute, and then it comes to me and I could not play two notes. I was so frozen in fear. I could not play two notes because my head was like, I don't want to play something wrong. What's the key? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It was paralyzing to be in that place. What did it take to take that first step? my gosh. So just being aware of the fear was huge. And then shortly after that, um, I had a conversation. I was playing for a gig, an opening of a new, actually it was an emergency room at a hospital and the architect was there. And during my break, we had this conversation and he was saying how he loved to sing in a choir and that music is just its language. And we hear that all the time, that music is a language. But at that point, I heard it from a totally different perspective. And I started asking, how do we learn to speak as children? You know, we play with sound, ma, ma, da, da. I mean, we're, we're, we, babies, they just play with the sound that's coming out of their bodies, you know, and their mouths and they're changing. They watch your mouth and they try to duplicate it and, and um, imitate it. And so I literally had to turn the mirror and see myself as an infant learning to communicate through this medium called music. And I would just play two notes, mama, mama. And those are the two notes that I couldn't play <laughs> with my ensemble. Um, and then what am I trying to, mama, food, mama, food, you know, that point, what do I want? I want that. So it's incomplete sentences, it's incomplete phrases. And then I started to create the phrase and then the feeling, and I called it doodling. I just started to doodle. Um, so it was like just playing with sound, playing with simple melodies, um, having a, a sentence in my head and trying to duplicate it. You know, if we listen to our speech patterns, we have rhythm, we have pitch, we have dynamics, we have timber, um, we have structure, we have all these components of music in our, in our speech. Um, and melody. And so if you listen to yourself talk, how would you play that? How would you play that? You know, how would you play that? So I just literally started to find those pitches and find those notes and, and it got easier. And that's how it started. That's amazing. Now, going back to today, I know that a major part of your spiritual journey has to do with your mentor, who is now your husband. Yes. That's incredible. How did that journey begin? So when I graduated from college, I was playing, I was gigging and I was hired to play with this ensemble. 
it was a different one than the one I had mentioned earlier. And it was for an event under the St. Louis Arch. And so it's like a national grounds. And I had no idea how to drive onto the arch and unload an instrument or where I was going. So I was lost. I was late. And this man was waiting for me when I finally arrived. And he was upset. And all I could do was laugh because I was so nervous and I was so embarrassed. And we unload the harp. The group has already started playing because I'm late. I you know, get set up. I start playing. It sounds beautiful. And the oboe player, who was the contractor for our group, introduced me formally to John during one of our breaks. And he was actually looking to hire somebody to work. And I was looking for a job. And so a couple of weeks later, I stopped by his office and we meet, we talk. He eventually hires me to um, help him with contracting and booking other events. And one thing led to another. And this man, he was, he was very mysterious, um, wise, and I don't know, I was just intrigued. Um, we had really wonderful conversations. He had this expanded perspective about everything. Um, he's literally a creative genius um, and a visionary. And, you know, when you meet somebody on that soul level, when you're just like, I know this person, there's something, there's a connection here. I can't explain nothing about this makes sense. Um, he's 25 years older than I am. I mean, nothing about this makes sense. <laughs> Um, but we, we had to be together. Um, and it's because of his spiritual gifts and his spiritual connections that I am who I am and that the music is what it is. And literally when we record music now, I mean, we literally just sit down in the space, tap into the energy that's moving and flowing, um, and the music happens. So almost all of my recordings, they're like one takes. This just is what was moving in the studio. I don't go in with music or anything. And it is just a spiritually inspired connection. And yeah, I'm very, very grateful. That's just beautiful. And I want to thank you for, you know, really just sharing that experience and, and what a wonderful relationship you and your husband have that instant connectivity is, you know, invaluable. Truly. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I, I, you know, can't wait to see what uh, you two accomplish together as a power couple. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we talked earlier about the ways that people can listen to your music, which is on Spotify and on Apple podcast at Amy Cammy. Well, what are the other ways that people can reach out to you? Should they want to support your cause and work with you in any capacity? Sure. Um, just if you just go to um, the healing harpist, Dot com. That's a domain name that is directed to my Linktree page. And that Linktree page has, has direct access to my discography, my main website, um, Conscious Self-Care. I have an online course that really describes these ideas of resonance and sympathetic vibration um, and the energetic components of self-care and why it's important. Um, so yeah, Linktree, uh, um, The Healing Harpist, dot com goes to my link tree 
And then I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn too. So you can just search me. <laughs> All that information will be displayed in the show notes of this episode. And finally, Amy, the question I ask everybody, everybody on this podcast, what will you be famous for? Helping people to tune into themselves and compassionately embrace the fullness of who they are. Because that's what really this is all about. This is about helping people remember how full we are of our experiences, our dreams, our fears, our joys. And it's part of the wholeness of who we are. I always use the harp as a metaphor, like all the strings of the harp representing all of those aspects of ourselves. And we don't have to be afraid of any of them. And as we turn the mirror and we lovingly embrace all of those aspects within us, then we're not judging ourselves and we can see other people through those eyes. And I just feel like it's, it's about compassion and empathy. Amy, Cammy, everyone, thank you so much for being on this show. That was so beautifully said. It really was a tr real treat to have you on this podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. This podcast releases bi-weekly on Fridays. To attend one of our networking events, visit the registration link in the show notes or go to www.mrthrive.com. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Email chaz at mrthrive.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.